Hello and welcome back, dear friends, to Words Fail Me. It's a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. I'm Jude McGowan. As always, this is a podcast to support the incredible work of the Dyslexia Foundation. Their mission is to unlock the full potential of children and adults with dyslexia so that they can succeed and contribute fully to society. Now they do incredible work. They test any adult off the street and teach them to read for free. Everything is free at the point of use. My guest today is Emily Keir. She's an ultramarathon runner, nutritionist, and she's one half of Twice the Health. She studied sports, biomedicine, and nutrition at Cardiff University, where she met best friend and now business and fitness partner, Hannah Tightley. Her love of fitness is infectious, her passion inspiring. Her approach to dealing with her dyslexia is familiar. She's a visual learner. What I enjoyed about this episode was how organic it is, the conversation as you'll hear really flows, and the business Twice the Health is about spreading the love. That's that's really what it's about. Love of fitness, love of enjoying the potential of your body, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here it goes. All right, hello. Welcome, Emily. I'm so excited uh, about this one. Um, so I, I do my research. I'm, I try and be as diligent as I possibly can <laughs> with all my guests, and uh, it was a pleasure um, to research both you and Hannah um, yep. because uh, people probably know I'm a, I'm a PT as my, my side hustle, and you don't really have to look hard to get a sense of how infectious their love of fitness is and the generosity they have and they really try and encourage a a community which is actually my favorite way to approach fitness you know it's not just about um looking a certain way for social media um it's it's about enjoying the potential of your body whilst having fun with someone you love um is is that conscious for both of you is 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 sharing the love um a decision that you actively made when you started the business? Yeah, completely. So um, I think what we kind of found was loads of people started to message us to be like they didn't want to go running on their own or they were like ashamed to go to the gym by themselves and they were really scared that they wished they had a friend like we did to take that edge off the nerves. And we've both been active our entire lives. We were both runners from a really young age. And hadn't really didn't realize it was that anxiety around moving their bodies and being ashamed to be seen sweating and um, so it kind of opened up our eyes yeah. to that possibility um so then we sort of kind of wanted to open up our arms to other people that wanted to join us and kind of be part of that community that there was no shame and no matter how you which way you wanted to move your body if you were disgustingly yeah. sweaty if you weren't sweaty, whatever it was and you should feel comfortable and happy uh, with whatever way you choose to be active yeah i mean you know, with my clients, certainly it's that initial phase. If they're not used to moving, there is a, a fear that everyone's looking at them, judging them, and and they're not. You know, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, completely. They're that, probably... like, under the microscope, you feel like everyone's watching you, and in fact, everyone's too worried about everyone else watching them to even look at anyone else. <laughs> exactly, and the really vain ones are like flexing for themselves in in, in the mirror anyway. You know, <laughs> you're not on their radar. Don't worry about them. True. So can we jump in straight away then to to your journey with with fitness and how and how you you started moving? Yeah, so um I kind of actually had to fill out a form the other day and it said how long have you been running for? And I nearly put down 27, which is my age and I was like, well actually that's a bit of a lie. I wasn't quite running for it <laughs> and I couldn't decide when when I started because I can't remember because it's just it has always been a part of my life. Yeah, um, I've been there. So I'm really close to my sister, who isn't Hannah that I run the business with. Everyone thinks we're sisters, but she's not actually my sister. My sister is Zoe. Um, yes. And uh, she's 15 months older than me. So whatever she did, I wanted to do. And so she started to be quite good at running. So I used to chase around on athletics track, <laughs> trying to beat her <laughs> with all of my might, even though <laughs> she wasn't even trying, would still win. Um and so I started out doing yeah, 800, 1500 meters um, on the track and started kind of being quite competitive from like, the under 11 category um, yeah. and then moved up to 1500 meters and then on to cross country, started competing at English schools. Um, and then obviously like most child athletes got injured um, and kind of then lost my love for running after my second round of stress fractures. Um, And then found weightlifting, um, not in like the Olympic sense, but just like going to the gym and actually using weights. And when I came back to running for then the third or fourth time, I realized how much 
the weights had improved um, how I ran and reduced my risk of injuries. So now I've always yeah. kind of continued with a combination of strength um, and running. Of course, it was like hockey and netball and stuff thrown in there a bit earlier on as well. But um, yeah, running's always kind of been my my true passion. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that you started young, I find that sets people up for, you know, consistent training in, in whatever it is throughout their life, you know, be it like gymnastics from a young age. Um, is that something that you acknowledge, you know, like having had that as a young person, it then it then means you, you're more likely to pursue it the older you get? Yeah, I think so. I think like, not that discipline almost sounds like a bad term when you use it with sports. Yeah. I think it's quite often then linked to obsession, but um, but it does. It builds it. As, it's such an important part of of my life being active, and I think even yeah. the way that we I would like socialize even with my my parents and friends, like everything was around being active and being outside, and it being a, a source of joy and happiness instead of yes. this method of punishment and hate um so it was set such a positive tone um for me for that I will be like forever grateful I remember also listening to a podcast with um Gabby Logan when she was teaching like the only time also she got upset with her body was when it couldn't do things and that's how how I felt I didn't I would luckily touch would have always had very like positive like self body awareness however you want to kind of put a title on it because yeah I didn't really mind what my body looked like as long as I could beat that person or run fast or score yes. that goal and that's what I got my sense of achievement from not what I look like on the outside and I guess it and then happens to kind of come hand in hand that tends to be the more you move the more comfortable you do feel with your body but that wasn't that wasn't the goal um yes. and I think taking away that stress just yeah has led me to always enjoy it with a positive mindset for sure, for sure. That's and that's what I love about uh, Twice the Health and and everything that you guys put out is 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 what is clear is is the love of what you're doing and fulfilling the potential that your body has. Yeah, um, completely. And that's why I, I always try and encourage people to look holistically at their fitness, but to find something they enjoy because then it doesn't feel like it's a task. It doesn't feel like it's something you just have to do. It's something that you actively want to do because. You just, you love it. You love the bones of it. Completely. Like, I guess because of our pages, obviously, mainly around running and endurance running, um, quite a lot of people message me like, oh, I really need to start running, but I really hate it. And I'm like, if you really hate it, don't run. Like, honestly, as much as I <laughs> yes. love it, I don't, I can give two cents if you don't want to go running like go rollerblading hula hooping yeah. like swimming yeah. I really like kickboxing whatever whatever it is it does not have to be running and I completely yeah. understand for 50 percent of the population they hate running and that is okay <laughs> exactly exactly I mean look if you're going to run an ultra marathon you have to love it oh yeah <laughs> it's a long way to hate it <laughs> exactly I mean you know I, I like a run here and there it's not my thing lifting weights is absolutely my thing um, I, I do. I am fascinated by people like David Goggins and ultramarathon runners like that. Who mm-hmm. um, it's it's almost a sort of meditative state that they had to get into. Um, is is that what you utilise when you when you when you're doing those long long runs? Yeah. So I think also how you, it's good that you kind of mention people like that because you there's points where you. Um, you think like, oh, like I've done amazing things, but there's always going to be someone that's run faster than you. There's always going to be yes. someone that's run further than you. And that's kind of what we kind of used to, to motivate. Although we're really proud of what we've done, like mm. th- there are always going to be those people unless you are like the top one in the world, obviously. <laughs> that's such a tiny percentage. Um, so I think that makes it, it just makes it so humbling and kind of removes that that fear factor. Um, but yeah, it, you, Hannah is more of the 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 further distance runner of us uh, so we both a right. uh, year ago was it two years ago now we did a hundred kilometer run in one go um so oh. that was 12 and a half hours <laughs> of running uh, which is a really long oh. way um but yeah you yes. do just have to find um yeah you have to you have to be calm like if you start to get stressed and flustered that's when an a mile feels like forever uh, whereas when you yes. when you are like kind of at peace and you let your mind drift you'll suddenly be like, oh, how did I get here? Have I crossed roads? I didn't remember crossing roads. <laughs> um, and you kind of had to get into that that kind of state of mind. Um, otherwise, I think you would probably go insane. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So tell me, what is the strangest experience you've had doing a race or, you know, just going for a run, um, an event? 
Um, I guess it's kind of been like a few. If it's like a location, we ran the Grand Canyon rim to rim, which was beautiful and breathtaking. Mm. We started at minus four and finished in 40 degree heat. Um, And that was stunning. But nothing really went wrong, so to speak, apart from we wore black long leggings, big error. Um, (laughs) I think that was following that, we wanted to do another 50K. And I stupidly let Hannah choose the location and... Uh, she couldn't find her way home from the supermarket. So um, <laughs> this is always going to be a, a questionable one. And she decided that um, the Great Wall of China was going to be the next choice after seeing the kind of famous marathon that's there. Um, yeah. So we looked into the marathon, um, but it's a very like controlled event and you have to have like a whole week's holiday like that's part of the, the marathon and you have to kind of go yeah. over as a group. And we're like, oh, we don't want to do that. Um, and it's actually really hard to research what part of the wall it's on and most of it is obviously guarded and you can only go on during certain points of the day and it's very yeah. busy. So I set about zooming in on Google Earth to find other areas of the Great Wall of China um, <laughs> and trying to find a new route. Um, so we headed off to China with the two of us and Hannah's ex-boyfriend and we stayed, found this place on Airbnb. We stayed that stayed this really lovely Chinese couple who spoke absolutely no English. I don't yep. think they had had a Westerner ever come to stay with them. They were mind boggled by who we were and the fact we were going to try and run on the wall. Um, they spoke obviously no English. We spoke absolutely um, no Chinese. So we had to use this app to talk to each other. And that was a whole comedy yep. sketch on its own. Um, <laughs> but we set off up the wall first thing in the morning. And obviously it's the bit that's three and a half thousand years old so it hasn't been remade mm. so it's basically like a pile of massive stones um so we tried to head out on the route that i planned um and we just ended up right against a huge cliff face we're like well if we can get up it we definitely can't get back down on the, on the way back so then we tried to go the other way on the wall and that was also a huge failure so after 12 um kilometers of scrabbling we're like oh, we're not gonna be able to do it um so we came back down and we just ran along the roads and through all the, the villages again being stuck stared out by all the locals like who are these two random white girls running in the (laughs) midday heat (laughs) um what are they doing um but it was although it went wrong um it was still it was it was amazing and I think it's part of the world that not many people will see um so yeah it was a a failure but a success at the same time we still got 50 kilometers under our belts (laughs) albeit a little bit zigzagging all over the place (laughs) I love that I love that so much. The spirit of, you know, let's let's just see. Let's just get out. You know, it might not work, but even so, it'll be a story. Yeah. I've had a peanut butter sandwich on the top of the Great Wall of China, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah, I've been a couple of times because I used to live in Shanghai. Oh, amazing. The 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 sort of the the place everyone goes to um which is quite crowded really. Um there's like people who sell Snickers every like, I don't know. <laughs> every 200 feet or whatever it is just to keep people energized and we we spent a good six hours on the wall and i got so sunburned and oh. the amount of calories we must have burnt because it's it's in places it's it's you know it's it's in the hills mm-hmm. so you're burning so many calories and consumed god knows how many bars it's of so Snickers. steep even just getting up to so ours the, i mean the get our the guy who owned the house we were staying at he showed us how to access the wall and he literally like poked us through a hole in a fence that said prohibited. So we definitely were not supposed to be on that part of the wall. But he was like, oh, off we go up here. And we're like, oh, uh, this does not look like we're supposed to be here. <laughs> um, so it was slightly questionable. Yeah. We survived. No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. You're, you're braver than me. Sure. Yeah, looking back now, I'd be like, not a good idea. <laughs> no, no. Um, for anyone who, who does know China, yeah, don't um, do that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't advise it. I wouldn't advise it. Um, but I mean, that sounds incredible um, to do. To, if, if you even if you had done the marathon, I mean, that would have been would have been amazing. But fifty um, k through through those villages, I know those villages as well. When you just, it, it's quite a unique feeling, you know, as as a as a white European, um, when people look at you like, what are you doing here? We didn't see one other runner. Like they had put, I think it was obviously a new government scheme that had gone out because even outside the house we were staying at, even though we we're in the middle of nowhere, they'd just been put in some of those kind of like an elliptical train of where they're just like the little feet thing that are hanging off a pole <laughs> that makes you kind of yeah. run on the spot. 
So yeah, those yeah, are being yeah, put yeah. in all of these villages, and there's these really rural villages, and there was basketball courts and all this incredible. But no one, I saw no one on a piece of like no one on a basketball court because they all are, are working. Like it was, it was a very strange kind of. So I think the fact they thought we were just out tiring ourselves out for no reason was, yeah. was a, bit, a bit strange. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You, you, you. It's amazing in China. You, you are met with two very different worlds, uh, a world that's trying to modernise as quickly as possible and then old China, which is like, which is everywhere. Um, in the big cities, Beijing and Shanghai, parks are usually where people get their exercise in and it's, it's usually um, women and some men and they're, they're doing sort of um, aerobics where they're sort of swinging their arms and mm-hmm. um, and dancing, which was just really sweet. There's like, you oh. know, there's often not enough men for them to partner with. So it's often like women in their 50s and 60s who are who are doing waltzes and uh, ballroom dances. Oh, that's and, so and, lovely. And often just like doing it by themselves. Um, oh, that's so lovely. I think we need some of that in London. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, obviously it's great people are getting out there, pushing themselves, getting PBs. But, you know, there's there's something about seeing people silently waltz with each other in a park that's uh, so romantic. Oh, that is so lovely. It was definitely not as romantic and as peaceful as ours. <laughs> no, no. F- 50k through um, uh, uh, little Chinese towns doesn't sound too romantic. <laughs> well, if I can bring it um, to to dyslexia mm-hmm. um, at this point, um, how then does that intersect? Because obviously um, dyslexia is, is, a, is a mental disability. Mm-hmm. Um, when was it that you realised that you were dyslexic and how did it, does it manifest? Yeah, I think for me to start with, I just always thought I wasn't that bright. And I guess um, oh, yeah. but I was just kind of, I accepted that there was there's the clever people. And I think also because I had such a passion in sport and it does tend to, I don't know if, if that statistically is true, but I was part then the sporty group and we tended to be in the lower sets and that's just how it was. So it didn't overly bother me. I just knew that I was good at sports and not so good in the classroom and that didn't upset yes. me overly. I just knew that was kind of the fact. Um, and it wasn't till I was about to leave my first school and we were going to move on and my mum wanted to make sure that Zoe and I went to the same school. Um, so when Zoe was going to be taking the entrance exam for that school, I went in and had some tests to see if they thought I would also get it in the following year. Um, and that was when they, I had a few tests for dyslexia and they, they said basically I come up at the lower end of the spectrum. Um, but especially with like speaking aloud and spelling and kind of switching words around was my main (laughs) kind of culprit. Um, and I guess part of me was relieved that maybe, ah, that like, I'm not just thick, (laughs) so that's good. Um, but then part of me kind of rejected it as well because I didn't want to be this dyslexic one. I didn't want that title so it kind of came with like a double-edged sword I guess yeah I know that feeling so much that you're like okay it's it's not that I'm I'm stupid um it has a name but then you're also like uh resistant to it as well because you don't want to be different from other people you don't want to I remember being given um like a clear piece of plastic that was red I don't know if you remember, yeah. like some people had green and stuff like that. Like, oh, yeah. you can use it to put over your books to help you read. And I was like, I don't want to have to pull out a shiny piece of plastic in the middle of the class yeah. to read my book. Like, that for me was just like, I don't, I don't want to be that person. Which, looking yeah. back, is really stupid. But at the time, like, when you're younger, that that's kind of, of really like highlighting the issue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In your social sphere when you're young, you don't want something like that, which differentiates you from other people in a negative way or what you feel like is a negative negative way mm-hmm. um i'd love to talk to somebody now in terms of how they you know as a an educator potentially avoid those things because certainly i don't know about you but it's it actually set me back even further because then i sort of refused to use those things and i wasn't learning i wasn't you know improving my reading yeah, completely. And I was actually starting to think back to like these kind of memories as I knew this podcast was coming up and kind of stuff that I I pushed aside, especially because as, as it is quite mild, my dyslexia in the grand scheme of things. And I think um, I kind of mentioned to you that maybe that was kind of what made it worse because it was mild. 
I did push away the help that I probably should have taken. Like, I refused yes. to take extra time of exams because I was like, I don't need it. Or you could sometimes also mm. have access to a computer. Again, I just didn't want to be singled out. And I think I associated it, associated dyslexia um, with the people that I knew that had it severely and wrote their letters backwards, like literally physically backwards or couldn't string together sentences. And that's what I thought dyslexia was. And so I did try and really... I guess, peel myself away from that category because I didn't want to be in it, which, as I said, now, like, now I look back and I was like, that's so wrong and so s- stupid of me. But at the time, that's yeah. how I wanted re- to react. Yeah, of course. Um, forgive me if this is a little hot takey, but um, mm. so we've struggled really to find female guests mm-hmm. um, because, I mean, we were throwing around why it is so difficult. Um, you know, there is a the thing that, women uh, mature quicker than men um, and find coping mechanisms for for things in the classroom uh, before for uh, uh, boys do mm-hmm. um, and then it's also um, this is the hot take <laughs> is is that already women might feel at a disadvantage compared to men in the mm-hmm. workplace to then um, hold your hand up and say oh by the way I have a disability as well that I you know my worry or my theory was that they're concerned that you know they won't then be considered employable um, by an, uh, a prospective employer if they then say, "Oh, I've, by the way, I'm dyslexic as well," because yeah. there's already enough um, prejudice. I mean, I don't know whether or not is that something that's occurred to you, or yeah, was I it subconscious? I haven't really thought through it, but even thinking back as to the like the classes when we were grouped as to, to help out with dyslexia, so there were more boys. Um, mm. So I don't know if it is just more prominent in men I'm not I'm not entirely sure and also I felt like how it probably displayed was also quite different that the boys tended to then be more um like disruptive and kind of loud because they didn't understand what was happening whereas from more of a female again really generalizing but from a female point of view it made me shrink back um because as a child I was really like loud like I wanted to go do everything up to the age of five like I wanted to go introduce myself and (laughs) like do performances (laughs) and then past the age of five I just started to get more and more shy and kind of reserved in myself and I feel like maybe that's kind of the difference between the genders if I really want to stereotype it that yeah yeah, the boys more act out and the girls will shrink back so maybe um it doesn't get diagnosed as commonly in in girls um but yeah going forward into then like the working space I think yeah I guess that does could could reign true I hadn't really um thought about it before um and it's definitely something that makes me nervous I'm very lucky that Hannah my business partner studied English at university so yes. when we first started doing blog posts I would write up all the science because I studied nutrition <laughs> um, yes and then she'd be like we can't post that Emily she was like even I know stuff about nutrition and that doesn't make any sense because <laughs> I'm just writing bullet points of science so she then helped kind of rewrite it and restructure it for me and then I then also got to the point though where I literally couldn't send an email or write a letter unless I'd let Hannah read it first because I just felt like I didn't have the confidence and that it wouldn't make sense unless someone else had proofread it Um, and that made me nervous if I then had to do anything that was in work when I then wasn't with Hannah I just felt like it was subpar and it wasn't enough and it really knocked my confidence on that sense so Mm. instead of now that I now reread everything that she helps me with so then I've use that as a second learning practice and now my writing has has improved like dramatically in the six years that twice the health has been running because almost Hannah has <laughs> kind of backhandedly tutored me uh, to be <laughs> able to write better um which is a funny way of looking at it <laughs> yeah but then you know um the conversations I've had and, and the research I've done into dyslexia you know we we are lateral creative thinkers and quite often uh, it really helps to have somebody external um, who is n- more of a direct thinker, um, then help to shape it. Uh, Sally Sally Gardner, in the conversation I had with her, she has a um, uh, an editor that she sends all of her stuff to who will basically say, um, look up the mountain. You know, you, you were trying to climb this mountain and and you've you've gone laterally around the mountain. You're not mm-hmm. you're not thinking upwards. All this is great, but you just need to focus on that. And I and that dynamic sounds familiar that you and Hannah have that, you know, you have, you're thinking naturally, creatively, 
interestingly, in a science way. And then Hannah is there to help shape you and actually sort of uh, finesse what it is you mean. It's so funny that you pulled that up because honestly, when I was listening to that episode, I was like, this is me and Hannah. <laughs> like, she is my editor. Um, and it, it has helped me massively. And it actually kind of made me think back to, to being at school because for my GCSEs, I actually did well, quite well for what I, I would like to think of myself. Um, yeah. Like five A stars, three A's and a B. And that Amazing. I felt I was really happy with those results. And then when I went moved on to A level, where I actually chose the subjects I really loved, I did so, I got... Uh, CCD and mm. I was like how did that happen I I just don't I felt like I understood everything but obviously yeah. once you get to A level it's more kind of essay questions and longer winded stuff and I was like I probably just wrote what I wanted to write and that classic thing of not reading the question and I obviously just yeah went off on the right lateral <laughs> thought process yeah. and just wrote down anything I thought was the correct answer without yeah. actually answering questions um and yeah, it just kind of made me think back back to that. Yeah, that's it's as equally familiar. Again, I I, I was similar GCSEs, and then and then uh, just like you, my my A levels were yeah CCD. I think I got an A for for acting, but not for yeah, it was like CCDs. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, that was unfortunately because I knew to get into drama school, I didn't need grades. I just need to you know, <laughs> just need just to be good at acting. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. So I think in a way that wasn't that wasn't great for my A-level results, but you know, luckily, luckily I got where I needed to be. Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh it's it's tough. I mean, I you know, um when I invite a guest like yourself to come on and necessarily you're gonna think about things which uh are uncomfortable, you know, mm-hmm. situations in a classroom that you that you've repressed and that might not be um fun to re-explore but it's it's so interesting in the context of where you were to where you are now and how that shapes the person that you are um i've asked this question before but do you think struggling in the classroom made you empathetic uh understanding towards people who were struggling with something yeah i think it's definitely more empathetic to even then not people with dyslexia i think as i said almost playing it back onto to then sport and moving their body because I know that they feel ashamed and embarrassed because they're not good at well they don't think they're good at sport gym whatever it may be and then I realized that's the shame I kind of felt about my work or writing or especially for me it was like reading aloud in class and that dread of it moving around the room you're like oh my god it's coming to me next and I don't know if this word says psychologically or physiologically (laughs) Um, and just feeling like oh my god it maybe it's going to be that paragraph it might be the next paragraph and now having that empathy towards people of like okay it's coming around in in the the gym and that you're going to be the next person that people are going to look at or notice and yeah so it's helped me kind of yeah have that that empathy towards different different categories yeah and has that helped uh in your um in the running clubs that that you organize you know if, if you if you need to give a note uh, for technique or whatever it is to to somebody that you're that you're running with, yeah. You, in how you might give that note. Yeah. So our run club's called um, We Are Runners, um, and we named it that actually yes. because our most um, common question when people want to come along, they're like, "Oh, I, I want to come, but I don't think I'm a runner. Um, like, am I going to get left behind?" And so, of which one you plan? Like, do you own running shoes? Do you go out and put one foot in front of the other and tend to at some point be in the air between those two strides? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I do hate to break it, do you? But you are a runner. Like, you're not Mo Farah, that's <laughs> fine. But I was like, you are a runner. Um, yeah. So we called it We Are Runners and the hashtag is I am a runner. So people can take on that identity. And it really doesn't matter what speed you go at, what pace you go at, your how many times you've run before that. If you want to come out and put one foot in front of the other, um, like you are a runner, and to give people that confidence um, yeah. in in that kind of area, because I know it's where a lot of confidence is is, is lacked. Um, so yeah. yeah, hopefully that kind of helps with them with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love that because everyone remembers a few years ago that horrendous protein brand which was advertising for Beachbody Ready on all the tubes, mm-hmm. um, and it really feeds into that the quite negative aspects of the fitness industry, which is about self-loathing and, you know, where you are is not enough. And, you know, whereas that 
absolutely is about empowerment. And and for me, it, it leads to people being invested in their fitness journey for longer. You know, it's not simply about, um, you know, a crash diet or, you know, oh, I need to, I need to be ready for the beach. It's, um, I, I can do this. I am doing this. I'm enjoying this. And it's just something that I need to do. And I don't even think about it. It's just, it's just habit. Um, yeah, completely. It's part of your life. It's your day wouldn't be complete without it. Like that's how we kind of view running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but also it was kind of interesting thinking again, back to um, the, the stuff in school and how it then moved kind of into my job. Cause I think, what came out of my dyslexia was, yeah, as I said, the reading aloud and the swapping round of words and what that then kind of manifested in myself was that I couldn't public speak um, at all. Like that was my worst nightmare. Um, And I think because it meant I was either having to read a paragraph in front of me or I had to put together a presentation. So I knew exactly what I needed to say and it wasn't conversational. It was set text. And that, to me meant I couldn't public speak so I wouldn't do any I'm the opposite to you like the thought of going on stage was <laughs> literally <laughs> my worst nightmare at our school theatre I used to do the hair and makeup like I would not go anywhere <laughs> near the front that was not for me um yeah. and then obviously as twice the house started to grow we had to start doing some talks and Hannah used to just stand there and talk and I would just stand next to her and nod and smile <laughs> and maybe put in a yeah. few sentences here and there um but because I just had to, I finally was forced into it. And then even having to, um, I used to do a boot camp as well when I first started, um, when I first moved to London and having to address a small group of people. The first time that happened, I was like, when they all turned to look at me, I was like, how am I going to, like, I know how to teach people through exercise, but a group of 10 all staring at me, that was honestly horrendous. Um, But slowly just having to force yourself into that habit now I actually, I really enjoy public speaking and I love being able to address the group at Run Club. And it wasn't the fact I was nervous of speaking to a crowd. I was nervous of having to repeat a script. And so as soon yeah. as the script has actually been taken away and I can talk passionately about something that I love and that I know about, then I can public speak. Um, yeah. But the way I thought I needed to deal with it, when I used to speak with Hannah, I was like, okay, you need to write everything out for me so I can have it in front of me and I'll read from the piece of paper. But then obviously I would stumble and I would trip and I would then lose where I was in the paragraph and then it would all fall apart. Whereas actually if I took away what I thought was helping me, it was actually, it was so much more of a hindrance than a help. And as soon as I took yeah. that away, it became a lot more natural. I love that. That's interesting because I was going to ask you, how is it that you gain that confidence? But it sounds like it's, it was a case of trusting yourself because you you know you know everything, um, you've studied it, uh, lived it, so it's just a case of trusting yourself. But it's um, my own journey with teaching classes is it's it's just the hours you know the experience mm-hmm. um, of being in front of people and then trusting yourself. Yeah, completely. I think um, as it's again down down to that that way of. I obviously rejected kind of the help with my dyslexia at the beginning and maybe I would have come to realise that it wasn't talking to people, it was the individual words that were kind of getting in my way. So asking for that help and advice definitely isn't a weakness and it can be it can be a strength. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk about failure and your relationship to failure um, because obviously podcast is called Words Fail Me. <laughs> Um, and as I found with all my guests, failure is, is something that they have a healthy relationship with, uh, which, by which I mean, it's, it's just part of human experience and using it and learning from it is the best, is the best way. What's, what's, what's been your experience with failure? Yeah, I think I feel bad because I keep talking about running, so apologies. No, no, that's, (laughs) that's it. For That's me, I wasn't I wasn't very good with failure, I think, as I was younger. Um, as I mm-hmm. said, like I wanted to do anything my sister did and I wanted to be just as good. And I would try like 110%. Like I would fall over the finish line at the end of a race, like panting and wheezing and crawling to the side. Like I, yeah. I always wanted to run a better time, beat that person in front of me. Um, and... I I think I kind of got to the the place where then that no longer 
made me happy because I couldn't run any faster. I kind of reached that peak and mm. I then wasn't getting that positive feedback. And then obviously I got injured. Um, so when I came back to running, I felt like I needed it to provide him with something else. Like that time on the clock wasn't going to make me happy anymore. And I th- I'm glad I've had that time. Like I'm very proud of where I got to with my running, but that's not what I take from it anymore. Um, and I think that's helped me process failure a lot better because um, it's a lot harder to fail when you when you remove stuff out and you reward yourself with with like oh I've run further than I ever have before or um, I found yeah. a new trail or I never knew that but existed or um, I ran with a smile on my face for the entire way through and I felt like effortless and that I was gliding and it's all these tiny small wins instead of pinpointing kind of your hopes and dreams on on a first place or on I want to be yeah. quicker than that because it can just be taken away from you in, a, in an instant and then that failure just seems so much greater. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how I then kind of push that into um, more of like my academic side and and work. But, um, yeah, I guess I just try to find smaller bits of joy instead of trying to put one goal up on a pedestal and that being the be-all or end-all and having many more smaller wins along the way overall yeah. helps me deal with failure better. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it also seems to me that mm. you and Hannah have found a life that's rich with meaning, um, and you want to share that with as many people as you can. Empower them to be physical and to achieve things. Um, but it's your own journey; it's yours. You know, it's comparison is the death of joy. You're not comparing yourself to anybody because it's it's yours completely. Um, that brings me on to asking. When was it that you both went, this is it, this is the thing, we're going to start a business and we're going to, we're going to try and we're going to put this out into the world? Yeah, so um, as I said, I studied nutrition, so I had a little Instagram page called um, Clean Team because it was a time of all the clean eating, etc. Um, and Hannah had started a blog because obviously she was studying English called The Life of Hannah um, and that's how it kind of we started obviously posting stuff online um and straight after university Hannah moved to London and persuaded me to then move there with her a few months later um and after we moved into the smallest flat in Clapham (laughs) it was so tiny Mm -hmm. our kitchen was just a corridor between a bedroom and the living room which had no tv um it was so small and um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hannah actually got us a last minute place in the 2015 London Marathon Um, so it was from a charity it was a friend of her mother's um, and the two runners had dropped out so they needed two runners to take the place and I was like yeah Emily and I will do that so she rang me later that day she was like Emily we're running the London Marathon I was like the one that's in like like 10 or 12 weeks she was like yeah and I was like oh my god (laughs) so obviously we both love running but we were like if we did 10k that was like oh my god do you know how far I've run I was like that was an absolute miracle um we're very much shorter distance runners um so we're like oh let's like let's just make a page about um this kind of crash course to marathon training we can do a bit on food and a bit on our training because at the time Hannah had started to get more interested in personal training as well and we're like, it'd be really good to have that interest of food and and, and activity um, and that we'll have the page together. And then that's when Twice the Health was born. So we'll be six in like a week, which is really exciting. Oh, wow. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, we just thought it'd be nice to kind of share like a, a true journey of, of London Marathon training with all the, the ups and downs and, and failures, because the failures are the part of it without the failures you wouldn't feel that huge overwhelming success um because it would just be like okay great I've done that (laughs) the struggles are what make it and then that evolved into um selling plans forming running clubs yeah so um it when we still formed it we thought it was just going to be a bit of fun as well um but the time we we were kind of friends with with other girls that had much bigger pages so our like initial growth was really big um and we're like, oh gosh, like maybe this could be a job. Like this could this could be us. Um, and yeah. so it started to kind of grow and grow. And as I said, then we started to get messages about people wanting to um, have a running buddy because they didn't want to run on their own. So we started these small run clubs around London. It was just Hannah and myself, um, and it was called TTH Runners at the time. Um, and 
people would come and meet us, we'd go for little runs. And then obviously, as the numbers started to grow, and different paces obviously arrived, it was very hard to keep the group (laughs) knowing where they were, not lose people. Uh, So people that came regularly were like, oh, do you mind, here's the route? Do you mind pacing the middle group? Um, And it just started to grow. So then about two years ago, we rebranded the Run Club to We Are Runners. Um, So there's eight locations normally, aside from COVID, um, in London and three outside um, of London um, as well. Guildford and Cambridge. Yes, yeah. Um, And uh, Biggles Wade. That's the other one. Um, and then from there, we just kind of felt like we still needed support um, other people that are further away that we couldn't, couldn't reach. And obviously a lot of people um, tend to always pick up injuries with running. And again, we kind of discussed at the beginning, it's, it's seen as this punishment sport that is solo yeah. and sad and not fun and is about weight loss. Um, so uh, we have a coach uh, called Brad that we've worked with for four or five years now. Um, and he is a... He focused mainly on strength conditioning for endurance runners. Um, so we started a new kind of program with him called Run Strong about like educating runners on the importance of strength training for running. So that's our kind of triage of, of business. So we have twice the house, we are runners um, and Run Strong. Yeah. Nice, nice. I felt like, I'm sorry, I, I, I cut you off when I when I said um, that you might have found a life of meaning. Was, was there something you were going to say about that? Because... Um, uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Oh, um, yeah, I think, um, I feel, I guess I hadn't really thought about it until you said said it, but I do really feel passionately about the message that Twice the Health has. And mm. as as a kid, when I was growing up, obviously as running, I thought, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an Olympian, like I'm going to win the Olympics. And that's the only <laughs> role I thought I could have as a runner, that I would yeah. just have to be the best. And that was... That was it, to be an athlete. Um, whereas finding this new kind of role of, I guess, influencer is the, the horrible name that we're given, which sounds like we brainwash mm. people. Um, but it <laughs> means that we can like reach so many people and help educate and make them feel better about themselves and and hopefully make yeah people a lot happier and healthier. And that, yeah. I think, is far more powerful than what I might have gone on to do if I stayed just running I just feel like we've shared a passion with thousands of people um and that just yeah feels like it has a bit more meaning than just chasing the clock (laughs) absolutely absolutely if you know people listening to this do check out their website do check out their Instagram because that is that's abundantly clear for me that it's it's about sharing that love of moving and fitness um right um what I'd love for you to talk about is uh how you approach um ideas with hannah you know moving things forward i think i think i saw that you've um changed things is it your running club into the academy um, yeah, things like that yeah so it's interesting because although hannah is a much more um like to the point thinker we always joke i get a text from her because we used to live together but we don't any anymore um not that sounds like we had a falling out just just (laughs) as we grow up Um, (laughs) we're all fine um uh it's obviously a lot harder when we were were together 24 hours a day so we kind of bounce ideas back and forth but now i get text messages being like so i've been thinking and i'm like oh no this is dangerous (laughs) so (laughs) hannah always likes to plan very big she's like we can do all these things and then this and then this and I'm like so what budget are we going to use for that so it kind of it kind of actually depends considering Hannah technically is the more like critical thinker of the two of us she does like to get quite carried away so I can be a bit more um to the point sometimes with rainy <laughs> plans okay. for world domination um yeah but out of the two like I like she will agree like I tend to be the more creative side so um I do all like the video editing and uh like the imagery and that kind of side of it whereas Hannah will do the right, words yes. uh, and the, like the business relations setting up meetings and saying the right thing so I'm the person who puts like a smiley face emoji at the end of an email and she's like you can't do that like <laughs> they're a, a multi-million pound like athletic wear you can't send them a smiley face I'm like oh sorry um yeah so I think that's what makes us so good as a pair though is because we are although people like to think we're identical we are actually very different so we know each other's strengths and weaknesses so we don't tend to clash heads because we know who pulls rank in certain areas and I think that that definitely really helps yeah absolutely 
But, you know, I mean, it, it makes complete sense. You know, I'm a very visual person, visual learner. Mm-hmm. It makes absolute sense that, you know, you as a dyslexic would utilise the visual medium um, in, in your relationship. Yeah, completely. And even down to um, through... Um we got a couple of ebooks and one though I did a nutrition ebook and I actually then are not an artist by any means. So please don't expect big things if you do down- download this. But I like mm-hmm. use a lot of drawings throughout and sketches to help people categorize things and understand different sides or like how a protein is put together. Because I knew that when I was learning, um, I love it to be visual and for me to redraw it many times and to really understand how how things work whereas just a paragraph of text somehow does just doesn't sometimes make sense to me and I don't understand how it works out and even now I'm actually back at university doing my master's and it's interesting with the different lecturers of some of them I'm just like what are they on about and I have to go and do my own research and I literally then do drawings and diagrams and flow charts to make sense of this this big blocks of text because for me I just can't visualize how how it works um and then other other lectures you can see maybe they do tend to have more dyslexic tendencies i'm not sure and they make it a lot more visual um and even like their slides will have moving parts to it and for me i'm like oh i get that straight away and there's only a few words on the slide um yes so yeah there's definitely those two different sides to to learning (laughs) yes completely and i love that you've 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 struck on um something about learning and the act of learning um you, know, you have to quite often translate it into your language. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not entirely sure what they mean. I'm going to have to try and process that for myself. And really, I've found as a as a dyslexic person, it's if if I'm actively um, engaged with that subject, if it's something that I love, so history, for example, or obviously acting, I would go away if the teacher hadn't, you know, possibly presented it to me in a medium that I could understand but because I loved it I would actively try and pursue it whereas and I'm I'm assuming this is the same for you when you're at school and it's it's maths and the last thing you want to do is try and translate it into your own language because you know you find it so difficult or boring um how is it's it? weird though we have very different subjects because for me mine was was history like I just didn't get on with history because it was essay writing and I just couldn't, right. I just couldn't put sentences together to make like an, an essay structure. And I think even now I love being able to use a laptop because I can edit my work. And I think it was that act of having to write down those sentences. And then I'd be like, oh, but I wanted that bit to be up there. And then having yeah. to rewrite it all just because I couldn't think and just put it down in one go. I just, my brain just couldn't compute that. So, but I mean, um, like we obviously we had computers at school, but there was like a few in the computer room. Like it wasn't like you had a laptop or anything. So I think maybe yeah. that would have if if I was now a child now, maybe that would have impacted how how I chose my subjects and what I went on to do. But yeah, to to write an essay and to be so final and putting pen to paper, I was just so indecisive. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is so that's so true because I'd also find writing with a pen I'd look over at what I'd written and I'd, I'd be like no that's incoherent it's, it's too messy whereas if I'd had a computer I could have you know gone back and finessed it and and you know tried to make it a little bit more readable for people um I, I mean I did do that I had uh, computers at A level um and AS but yeah GCSE wow yeah I, you're right I think having a, a laptop would have really have, have helped yeah, completely. I think even now, um, I'm not sure what my exams are going to look like for my master's degree. And I saw the other day in our timetable, it was dropped in of a timed essay. And I was like, oh, no, like, <laughs> that's my worst nightmare. I was oh. like, please don't make me do that. No. Um, so that's already filled me with dread. <laughs> yes, the familiar fear um, of exams falls over you. Completely. But I also, um, on some of your other podcast that I was listening to with the different um ways of kind of getting around it and um I can't remember who, who it was but you're talking about trying to find a spelling for something and putting it into Google because that will um like eventually give you the right answer because I've yes. always been there you know typing it a hundred times and even the spell checkers like I don't know what you want yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but what I find I'm sorry if I set off everyone's phone when I say this but if I ask my phone I go like 
Siri and then I just say it and then it will give me the spelling and that is like my go-to <laughs> before yes. my spell check now um and again something like that because I remember back at school some of the, the dyslexic class that I used to have either before or after school that mum tried to make me go to I think I went to like three and I was like never going back <laughs> um but like we used to play games like who could play who can find this word in the dictionary the fastest and I just didn't get it because I was like well I don't know what the second letter like where like I I, yeah. I just never won. I was like, this game is ridiculous because this is my problem. I don't know how to spell it. Um, yeah. So like having something like when they're like, oh, I don't have spells in their game, even in the classroom, they'll be like, here's a dictionary, look it up. And you're like, no, that, that doesn't really help me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not going to do it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Like having tools now, um, yeah, it, it really uh, makes me feel hopeful for for young people struggling, you know, there are tools like like Siri that are that are visual and simple that you can just do quickly and efficiently and not feel like, yeah, oh God, I'm gonna have to pick up a dictionary and flip through. That's gonna take me so long. And I don't and I already feel like an idiot for not knowing. Completely. So are there any techniques that you use um, to help you learn or to help studying? Yeah, I guess it's kind of hard to to separate what's a coping mechanism for dyslexia and what's just a different way of, of doing and of doing things. But, um, yeah. I, I like to make things visual as we kind of touched on a little bit. Um, and just if it's pages and pages of black and white text, it's just, it's hard to kind of to, to process it. So I do is I like to kind of make diagrams and, and draw things. And as much as I struggle to put pen to paper in the sense of writing an essay, um, yeah. I find it hard to learn from text. So if I want to memorise things, I like to have it in my own own handwriting and rewrite it multiple times Um, because then I can remember kind of where I wrote stuff on the page and I can think back to what that page looked like and where it was and what colour pen I wrote it in and did I double underline it. And that's how I can think back and remember things. So, yeah, when I'm do- when I'm revising, my desk is literally covered in highlighters and different colour pens and pencils. And <laughs> my, yeah. it takes me a very long time to do all my notes. And they do look very pretty. But, yeah, I need, yeah, colours and, yeah, different, like, borders or edges to, to kind of pinpoint that into in my brain so I kind of remember what it looks like, not necessarily what the letters are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, repetition is always my friend, going over and over things. And I, I have a, a written file of facts. You know, I, I can't do oh. reminders on my phone because I find the act of writing it out helps me remember it. Yeah, I'm a paper diary, like none of this yes. electronic diary stuff. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't know, you know, iCals and all that kind of stuff. I'm just like, no, no, I have to write it. I'm with you on that. <laughs> so let's bring it back to fitness again. Um, how how was the lockdown? Because we are, dear listener, in lockdown three in the uk the joys mm-hmm. of that we're allowed um to go out for an hour uh i, I believe of um or one um one, one exercise <laughs> one trip exactly a day so how has that how's that affected you how's that affected um how you move in this pandemic yeah it's been it has been strange especially i do love to run with the group like as i, said, I was always part of an athletics club so even though i may have competed technically solo it has always been a group activity for me and then since we started we are runners like i love to run in a group so um running solo is taking me some time to get used to um yeah. luckily i've been listening to good podcasts like this one so that's kept me company <laughs> um so that's kind of been weird is not having it as as a group sport and as my social um like obviously i did occasionally obviously go to the pub before but that was literally like after work we would have run club and that's where I caught up and met new people and had amazing yeah. conversations so I do feel like that's the side that I'm missing the most whereas the actual physical process of exercising hasn't really changed for me but the I guess the, the enjoyment has changed a little bit it is more now just habit instead of it being my social like escape yeah so to speak how um Running with Hannah and having a partner, um, you're now, of course, in a position given that you have to run by yourself to know performance-wise, are you better with a partner or, you know, is it just the same when you're solo? Yeah, I think I've always 
kind of craved to have a running partner. So I said, I used to chase my sister. Um, and yeah. then one of my sister's <laughs> really good friend, Emmy, um, we used to train together all the time. I, I actually was at boarding school. I, we used to sneak out of the boarding house. Mostly we used to sneak out to go see their boyfriends. We would sneak out to go on a run in the dark and then get told off for it. And at the time we're like, I don't understand why you're telling us off. I mean, looking back yeah. now, we would literally like run along an A road in all black clothing <laughs> when they were like 13, okay. which yes, yeah. not safe. That would be but it. At the time I didn't didn't see those dangers. Um, so, and then once <laughs> Immy left because of my sister, with, yeah, they were the year above, um, then I had a running partner called Sophie. Um, so I've always had like a girlfriend that I ran with. Um, so then when Hannah and I started to run together then at uni, um, it's just kind of like, yeah, a, hab- a habit for me. And I just think it's nice to have someone with you. And I I guess a lot of people would be like, oh, it's healthy competition. It's that, it's that. but actually it's kind of anything, but that is more like healthy motivation because sometimes obviously when your alarm goes off yes. and it's raining and it's dark and it's 6 a.m. outside, but if you've told your friend like, oh, I'll meet you on the corner and we'll go do this, then you're not going to yes. turn the alarm off and then to ring you half an hour later be like, I'm out in the rain waiting for you. Um, it just gives you that yeah. accountability. And we, we all have days where running sucks and it feels like you're cemented to the floor and you can't breathe. Yes. And having someone next to you just to then maybe fall into their stride or try and replicate their breathing pattern just to calm you down. It's kind of all, all that you need or even to start, standing up to a race line like the people who do London Marathon on their own and go up to that pen on their own at the beginning I I honestly applaud you because that is a terrifying environment and I've always done that with a best friend by my side or a group of people and um I don't know how people do it on their own because I think it would turn me mad before I even started running um so it's, it's a selfish kind of need I guess to have that um comfort and to know that someone else is going through through it with you because running is hard like as much as it's mm. lovely like it's tough and if one of us is having a bad kilometer and all the other one's having a good one so we just kind of keep nudging each other along I guess the only problem is now that Hannah likes to run a really long way <laughs> so um, I hold it back <laughs> in that sense <laughs> I'm like I'm gonna yeah. stop here <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful um I want to ask you finally what your plans are for Twice the Health and, you know, if you've got any plans when pandemic is done for any big races. Um, yeah, what, I mean, what does one, because uh, I want to end on a hopeful note, <laughs> what does, what do you hope for um, when things return to something like normal? Because, you know, I'm sceptical as to whether things will ever be normal again. Completely. I've been kind of putting off booking any races because, um I hated the being cancelled and that kind of disappointment. But the one thing I do have in my diary for next year is my first full Ironman, which will be um, in Vichy in France. It was supposed to happen the August just gone, but obviously was cancelled. So hopefully that'll be going ahead at the end of August um, this year. So the training starts kind of now um, to get back up to Ironman fitness. Um, So that's my kind of like personal... Uh, goal and then with twice the health we're just hoping to um kind of end up with some some other good brand collaborations that we really love and that we're really passionate about and to kind of keep sharing our message of of the joy of running and like kind of the adventures and stuff that you can have alongside of it yeah you've got some good ones just looking at the website got some some pretty good ones um (laughs) do check out dear listener the ebooks that they have on there they're wonderful um they cover everything from nutrition to technique um, and then information about their runners, clubs, uh, all of that good stuff. It's all on there. Do follow them on Instagram, Twitter. Um, is it at Twice the Health for all yeah, of them? Yeah, it's at Twice the Health, Facebook, Twitter, a tiny bit on TikTok. Not very good at that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, kind of across <laughs> across everything. And um, yeah, at We Are Runners UK is the run club. And at underscore runstrong underscore is our strengths program. Wonderful. I think you dudes are on Twitter as well. Uh, sorry, yeah. um, YouTube uh, yes. as well. Just um, so what we'll do actually we'll, we'll put all of those in the description of the episode so you, you can just um, uh, hit the Real links <laughs> and it should take you there Emily thank you so much for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure thank um, you so much for having me on I've really enjoyed it it's been great thank you thank you you've been listening to Words Fail Me a podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me Juba McGowan my guest today was the ultramarathon runner and nutritionist, Emily Keir. 
it would massively help us if you guys could rate, subscribe, leave a little review, um, five stars if you're feeling generous on uh, wherever you get podcasts, iTunes, Acast, Spotify. That would be massively beneficial to help us grow the pod. There are more conversations in this series. Just search Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia, and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And if you want to support the charity or access its many services, go to dyslexia-help.org.